by devoting themselves to the deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insincerity uh, of liars and consequences, uh, our consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, being trained in the words of the faith of the good doctrine that you have followed, having nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness, for while uh, bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value of every way, as holds to the promise for the present life and also for the life to come, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. You may be seated. So this passage comes right after what it is to be an elder and a deacon in the church. We have church offices, and prior to that is the beginning of church service, which was in chapter 2. So now this is what we need to be worried about because we deal with a lot of these things. So the first point we'd like to make is to avoid the danger of being deceived. There's a lot of stuff out there, and it's pretty scary. So verses one through five, now Spirit expressly says that in latter times, someone will depart from the faith in devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, demons uh, through the insincerity of liars whose uh, conscience is, are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by who believe and know the truth for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. Now this is interesting. Now the Mormons, they call this a prophecy. They think this is a prophecy. So if you don't know what a Mormon is, Mormons, uh, it's a cult. They think that we can go to higher beings and go to celestial planets. Um, they have the Book of Mormon, uh, which all their prophets are false prophets because none of the stuff that they said actually came true, interestingly enough. So when it talks about the latter days, some will depart from the faith and give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines. Mormons say that this prophecy is a total apostasy of the church. Well, I have a problem here because it says some. Some will depart. Got a problem there. It's not a, a, the, uh, a total apostasy. Apostasy means to leave something that you've once known, right? So when they talk about apostasy in scripture, it's people that had the faith or knew the faith and they left the faith. And there's different arguments on that. We're going to go through that a little bit later. But 
The verse speaks of apostasy, but does not speak of a total apostasy. And the problem is that they're so focused on this apostasy because of all the not giving to marriage and not giving to certain foods. The reason why this actually goes to what's called Gnosticism, which means secret knowledge, comes from the Greek word gnosis. All it means that they think that everything spiritual is good, everything physical is bad. That was weird. So, check, check, check. Yep, we're good? All right. So, everything spiritual, good, physical, bad. Gnosticism. And since they wanted to pull away from all this stuff, and this was a primary thing in the, in the first century, was Gnosticism. Mormonism didn't come around until later with Joseph Smith. Um, but they think that because it's a total apostasy because people are given into their own pleasures. But because you eat food, is that a bad thing? No. Or eat certain foods or get married because they said that if you do anything fleshly, guess what? It's wrong. So even having sex was wrong, even in the covenant of of marriage between a man and a woman. That's a problem with their whole concept because they only last one generation. There's no babies after this. So, and Mormonism also claims that the Bible is corrupted and Mormonism, obviously, they have the true version of the Bible. There's always a true version and, you know, everything that we say is wrong. So, so you understand that text and if you ever deal with a Mormon, you know how to defeat it, right? So, the first question is, who is teaching? We have to go back to one and two. The Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons uh, through the insincerity of liars um, whose consciousness is where are seared. So latter times, now this is, the, this is a big debate. Latter times, it could be from the end times, talking about the tribulation period, the seven-year tribulation period in Revelation, or it could be determined uh, from the time of Christ, re- uh, his resurrection to the time that we're in now. They could be latter times. To be honest with you, at this point, it seems like right now they're talking about what's happening because in this time when Timothy was receiving this letter, he was dealing with a bunch of false teachers. And when it says, depart from this faith, I think that those who departed from the faith were professing Christians in Ephesus. And Timothy was in Ephesus. So these professing Christians doesn't mean you're a Christian. Because you say, I believe in Jesus, doesn't actually mean that you believe in Jesus. The question is, who is Jesus? There's a concept called free grace theology. It says that if you make a profession of faith in Jesus, that you will be saved. But the problem is there that a profession of faith does not mean you actually believe. Have people ever told a lie before? Have you ever said something just to be cool in front of somebody? 
Yes, you have, right? Everyone has. Well, think about it. A bunch of kids that grow up in youth group say, yeah, they're, I'm a Christian too. Yeah. Well, hold on a second. Does that make you a Christian? What do you have to believe? Well, you have to believe that Jesus died and rose again, right? You have to believe in his divinity. You know, when Thomas says, my Lord and my God, he meant his Lord and his God. You have to believe in the ascension. You do have to believe in the, the virgin birth. Now, do you have to understand all those concepts right off the bat? No, not to believe, but you have to have an acknowledgement, an intellectual acknowledgement of his divinity. You have to. So, so I think that the ones that are departing from the faith, he's not talking about true Christians, but professing Christians, if that makes sense. So the emptiness of that profession is catastrophic because you can say you're a Christian and not go to heaven. Now, we have a contrast here. First, you have the spirit, which is talking about the Holy Spirit, and you have the deceitful spirits. These are false teachers that are seducing Christians away from genuine Christianity. Because you're going to see, because they're going to tell them to do a bunch of things that go against what the scriptures say. And the concept of seared means that they are desensitized. When you sear something onto your body, it's permanent, isn't it? So you're completely desensitized. There has to be some sort of permanence in this. Now, it doesn't mean that you're losing your salvation. It doesn't mean that you don't go to heaven because of this. But it does mean that there's a problem here that you're not looking to what Christianity is. You're looking to traditions or people's sayings opposed to, or even fables, because you're going to see the, 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 the myths later. And you're holding that as true. And that's exactly what the Mormons did. The book, it's like, well, you have the Book of Mormon, then the Bible. That's a problem. Here's what John 8:44 says. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He, has, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So those deceitful spirits... That's where it's coming from. That is the origin of lies. So now we have a problem here. Because we have false teachers. And don't we have false teachers nowadays? He could have been written yesterday, you know, for all I know. Now we obviously know it was written 2,000 years ago, but... These false teachers, they plague the church because now you have a health, wealth, prosperity gospel, right? Hey, you have Stephen Furtick saying that I'm God Almighty. You have Kenneth Copeland saying that he won't get into an airplane because, you know, it's a too full of demons. Weird stuff, right? You could just, you saw that video? I know you did. <laughs> you have all these people that are talking about how you could be the best you. Let me explain something. 
You cannot be pleasing to God without faith. That's Hebrews 11.6. You cannot be pleasing to God without faith. So you need to be submissive and obedient to God to, in order to be pleasing because you need that faith. And all the people in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, guess what? They were all faithful, not in just spirit, but in their walk. False teachers have been around since the beginning. Paul dealt with it. Peter dealt with it. Obviously, Timothy was dealing with it. Every time you have the truth, you're going to have a hundred different false teachers. How many different cults are there? There's a whole lot of cults. You have the Branch Davidians who had Waco, Texas. You have the Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses. They have a whole book that Walter Martin wrote called Kingdom of the Cults. And it's about 800 pages. And there's a, over 100 pages just on Jehovah's Witnesses alone. I had to read it in Bible college and it was not fun. But there's always false teachers. And you notice the thing about the false teachers? They always have a couple things. Everything's about yourself or it's about that main leader. And there's always sexual sin. Usually with underage girls. And the Branch Davidians, you know what they did? He was like, well, David Koresh, he says, God told me I have to marry your wife. What? So this guy was going around to other people and telling them, hey, I got to marry your wife. That's what cults do and that's what false doctrines do. So that's, these are the things that we're dealing with now. This is not crazy because this is real life. And now... You have Christians who were orthodox at one point, and they're flipping the script. They're going woke. They're dealing with all these other issues, and they're more concerned about people's feelings than truth. That's where you start to see where false doctrine lies. Is it your feelings, or is it the truth? Hate to say it. Our feelings really don't matter when it comes to Scripture. Because nine times out of ten, the truth hurts. And he said it right there. The truth hurts. So now, beware of the false teachers. Here's all the past, or a bunch of passages about false teachers. Not all of them, most of them. But here's what Jesus says in Mark 13, 22. The false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders and lead astray, if possible, the elect. So even the elect will be led astray. Those are believers. In Acts 20, 29 to 30, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. That was Paul, and Paul also wrote in 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 to 3. Now concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be... Um, quickly shaken in mind or alarm, either by a spirit or a spoken word. Hello? How many people are saying, oh, I just prophesize over you. You're going to have twins. Guys say that. I look at them like, are you serious? They think they're modern-day prophets. That's called the New Apostolic Reformation. They think there's modern-day prophets and there's modern-day apostles. Guess what? There's only 12 apostles. It says it in Revelation. And to be an apostle, you have to see the risen Christ. And there's another cult 
that does that. It's called Encounters with uh, Christ Encounters. One guy said he saw Jesus playing saxophone next to his bed. No joke. Yep. His name is Kevin Zadai. You can look him up. So spoken, spoken word or uh, letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. That's the Antichrist and the son of destruction. Okay. Second uh, Peter 2, 3. So Peter says, in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Uh, their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. And Jude, they said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. So, we have a bunch of writers of Scripture, and then you have Christ himself that say, be careful of false teachers. Because there's too many people that go on the internet and say, oh, this guy sounds great. What's the problem with that? We're so focused on what sounds good, what's appealing to us, Nine times out of 10, if it's not that appealing and it hurts, it's called conviction. It's probably good for you. So, 1 Timothy 4.2. Through the insincerity of uh, liars whose consciousnesses are seared, after pointing out the tragedy and deception of uh, Paul, began to identify the means by which uh, all these deceitful spirits are achieving the deception of all these people. The problem is they have these things called willing human agents. People are willing to fall into the deception. You have a mind. You understand. The scriptures are not that complicated. There's complicated concepts like, yeah, you want to explain the Trinity? Go for it. You're not really going to explain it. You're not really going to understand it. How about this? The hypostatic union, Jesus being fully God and fully man. Try to figure that out. Okay. How about this? The creation. God spoke everything into existence. How does that work? I don't know. What exactly happened after he died on the cross? When he says, Father, Father, why you have you forsaken me? What happened there? that disconnect. There's a lot of things that we don't know. But generally speaking, you know that Jesus died for your sins. You know that through faith, you can come and have eternal life. You can understand that, hey, false, false teachers are bad through the scriptures. You can understand that everything was created out of nothing. You cannot have these concepts. We have a mind to think. And that's why the Bible was written in, in the New Testament was written in Koine Greek, which is the common Greek. And these, um, these liars here that he's speaking about, they're hypocritical people because they told them to do all these things. Hey, you must maintain this level, but I'm not going to follow it. Just like the Pharisees. 
they thought they were so righteous. And they weren't. Because when we start putting different standards on other people, you know those people never meet our standards and we don't even meet our own standards. It's a marriage tip. Don't put too many uh, standards on your wife or your husband. Ladies with your husband mainly. Because we don't, meet, we don't meet it. So what are they teaching? Who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received from thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. See, these hypocrites here are telling people to practice uh, the concept of no marriage and, and a restricted diet. So remember Gnosticism? Spirit good, flesh bad. So they couldn't indulge in any like sensual pleasures whatsoever. Uh, Philip Ryken, who was a theologian, he says, self-denial is often used as a way to become self-righteous. We often start performing religious gymnastics to become more pious and more religious or more holy. Guess what? Every other religion requires works for salvation. Christianity doesn't. So if it's telling you to do all these things, like in Scientology, you're spending thousands and thousands of dollars on new content because they changed the word so you may achieve a higher level standing. They're wrong. Even versions of Christianity that say, hey, you have to do X, Y, Z. Hey, you need to wear a suit to church or you're not saved. Jesus wore a lot of suits, didn't he? How about Paul when he's being beaten and thrown in prison? I, listen, the Apostle John, the, the, the Isle of Patmos, when he was exiled there, I, he wore a suit there. The food thing, that was part of the Levitical law. We do not have to follow it. You can eat pork. Bacon's good. Amen? I'm Puerto Rican, better than me. Yeah. I'm not giving it up. <laughs> so now marriage. They say don't, don't have marriage because, don't get married because you can't give into your flesh and have sexual intercourse. Great. Well, here's what the Bible says. Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord... God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Therefore, in Genesis 2, 24, therefore a man shall leave his mother, his father and his mother and hold fast to his what? His wife. And they shall become one flesh. Hey, that was a cultural issue, right? No. It was from the beginning that marriage was instituted. Here's what John 2, 1 to 2 says. And this is where Jesus is at the wedding in Cana. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. But marriage is bad though, right? But Jesus supported a wedding? Oh, by the way, they partied for a week. It wasn't like a three, four hour thing that we do now. They party for a week, sometimes two weeks. And then like, just to throw another one out there, hey, listen, if you, if you drink alcohol, you're not a Christian. Jesus made wine. 
Well, I guess he's the biggest stumbler of them all. Revelation 21, 2. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Even eternity is ascribed in the concept of marriage. So, food. We'll go back to Bethany in a little bit. Just a sinister uh, is the order to abstain from certain food. Here's where Mark 7, 14 and 19 says, And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. So anything that goes in can't defile you. Now, do I think you should eat healthy? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, but if you eat Skittles today, you're not going to go to hell. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. The things that come out of you. That's from your heart. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Romans 14, 20. Do not forsake, not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. This is a responsible approach to what is ingested with a room allowed, so the freedom of conscience. So if you're with someone, let's say, if you're speaking with a Jewish person that holds to the Levitical law and they don't eat pork, don't eat bacon in front of them. That'd be cool, cruel. Romans 14, 7, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 8, 8, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. I think we get the point. Marriage is good, food is good. Some food better than others. Now, Paul refutes those who teach falsely. In verses 4 to 5 in 1 Timothy chapter 4, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So this is in opposition to these false teachers. You notice Paul gives you something and he says, here's the, here's, here's the contrast to this. Here's the contrast to this. He's always in an argumentative form. So he's affirming here that everything God created is good. And you just look at everything that God created in Genesis chapter 1. He said, what? It is good. Now, the word translated rejected, it means to throw away, to be thrown away, or to regard as taboo. This doesn't mean that we are allowed to abuse what God has made and given for us for pleasure. So, for example, let's talk about the marriage thing, and let's talk about the food thing, because that's one of the examples he used. Well, it says not to be a glutton. Now, I know that our nickname is Calorie Chapel, and every event that we have has a ton of food, 
and we eat like gluttons. And as Americans, do we eat like gluttons? Yes, we do. Is it right? Absolutely not. Now, once again, back to the whole concept of marriage and sex. Is sex okay? Yes, God made it. He said, do this. But is it okay outside the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman whom are not related? No, it's not. That's called sexual immorality. So we have all these pleasures, even the concept of drinking was, is okay, but what does the Bible say against? He says, don't be filled with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So it tells you not to get drunk. But the problem is we tend to indulge way too much because we're more concerned about what feels good than what is good. And we should enjoy God's creation by using his gifts to us to serve and honor him. And we receive it with what? Thanksgiving. In Acts 10, 15, uh, and the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean do not call common. So number two, avoid the danger of following silly myths. We are in an age of silly myths. In verses six to seven, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. So what's he putting in front? The word of God and prayer. Being trained in words of faith and of good doctrine that you have followed have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness. So, this is what makes you a good servant, putting the word of God and prayer prior to these silly myths. What are silly myths now? Well, we do have guys who are conspiracy theorists, and they go way too far with it. Do I think that there's some conspiracies going on? Sure. Do I believe everything? No. And you know what the problem is? They have this thing called cage stage. Cage stage is like using usually in a theological term. But you, you see something, and then everything about your life turns into that one thing. Like, I don't care if you believe the earth's flat or round. I really don't care. But some guys are on the flat earth plan. They're like, see this passage? It means flat earth. I'm like, no, it's talking about something completely different. You took that completely out of context. Our entire life revolves around our, uh, some basic thought. And we just are so focused on the detail, we miss the entire story of Scripture. It's a redemption story. So now as we go further, is it being trained? Now, a better translation here is uh, nourished. The other translations, you know, mainline, uh, they, they translate nourished. So this is actually with, with the whole food and concept. So in comparison to the food and spiritual nourishment, word of faith and good doctrine of following the words of faith and doctrine. So f- what is doctrine? Doctrine is teachings. 
All Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for what? It's profitable for what? Doctrine. If proof and correction and training and righteousness so that the man of God may be fully equipped to do every good work. The word doctrine has become a bad word today. We're so focused on the minor things, we forget about the major things. And that's why you have Eutychianism, which, you know, we have Jesus is half man and half God. He's like a demigod. No, he's fully God and fully man. That's a problem. And these doctrines, they take away from what we believe. And that's what these false teachers were doing. They're so focused on these little minute details. What you're wearing. Now, do we have to dress modestly? Yes, we should dress modestly. Everything becomes about some secondary or tertiary issue or something that's not even mentioned in Scripture because it's tradition. That's the Catholic Church. So in verse 7, 1 Timothy chapter 4, it says, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, rather train yourselves for godliness. Sound teaching in the word of God. If it goes against sound teaching and the word of God, it is to be rejected. And this is why we fight so hard to know the truth, to preach the truth. It's not about little issues. These are real issues that we're dealing with because people are being led astray. And you know what? It's a lot of the youth. They're being led astray. So it's not about conspiracy theories like we talked about before or urban legends or blogs, websites that people, people's are opinions and we follow people's opinions and we think it's like gospel. I have a question and I want you to think about this one. How much time do we spend listening to someone like a person that's alive or even a person that's dead opposed to the word of God. I want you to think about that from a time-wise, like how much time we spend. Because the first instinct we go to, right, is what? Oh, I'm going to Google it. Go ask Siri. But we, how often do we open up the scriptures and say, this is what the word of God says? And I'm, gonna, I'm willing to bet it's very little in comparison. Number three, avoid the danger of living undisciplined lives. So, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value. Okay. Is it good to be in shape? Yes. Is it the most important thing? No. I have a story. So I knew a guy. I still know the guy, but there was a guy. He's married in a two-bedroom apartment with five kids. Yep. And he spends close to two to two and a half hours a day in the gym. And we were talking about fitness. I like fitness and, you know, I like learning about fitness. And, and he was like, so... 
yeah, so how do you, like, you get up at five in the morning and do the whole thing? Wow, he's like, yeah, he's like, it has to be a priority. I'm like, yeah, so when do you read your Bible? When do you pray for your family? And you just see his face like, yeah, that's a problem. Because we're so focused on what we look like opposed to what's going on on the inside. And I'm talking about spiritually. What's the most important ha- part of a house? Does anyone know? When you build a house. Foundation, right? And then what happens after the foundation? You build the what? You do the framing and then the rough work. The framing is all the wood, right? The rough work is all the plumbing and the electrical. And then what do you cover it with? Drywall, sheetrock, right? Yes, I know insulation. You don't have to get so technical, right? Insulation, then, you know, drywall. And then you what? You paint it, right? And you put your, well, you put your trim on first, then you paint it. <laughs> but you do all the aesthetics afterwards, right? You put the siding on afterwards. But the structural integrity is based on the foundation. Well, your structural integrity of your body, of your life, is not based on how you look or what, how many packs you have. Oh, I got an eight pack. And the selfies in the mirrors, and you know, you know the guys I'm talking about, right? They're sitting there in the gym like this, like, they always have a face, they always have like pose. Ladies do it too. But it's worth of some value. Now, I'm not bringing it down. I'm bringing the value of our spiritual life higher than our physical training. It should be our spiritual training that supersedes that. The purpose of this life is not just existence. Even wicked people have a biological life. The purpose is the abundant life that Jesus spoke about. He spoke about it in John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Christ is not speaking that every believer is going to be wealthy. You're not going to get the car that you always dreamed of or something like that because you're a Christian. Or you're not going to find the man or the girl that you want because you're a Christian. You're not going to get the job you want, maybe. I don't know. You're not going to be a billionaire unless you want to be Joel Osteen. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I've called that like a whole bunch of false teachers. We will have a full life with meaning and purpose. This full life with purpose and meaning will have eternal consequences. What is your focus? The temporary? Because we live in an Amazon world, right? Same day delivery. I want to be satisfied right now. All good things take time. Good marriages take time. Hey, if you want to be successful, if you go to college, you get degrees, guess what? It takes some time. Everything takes time. But it's not about the things that we receive in this world. 
It's about our eternal rewards that we should be focused on. That's what Matthew chapter 6 talks about. Our focus is on the eternal kingdom, not our temporal, temporary fallen house. Because Paul calls our bodies tents. They're flimsy tents. Everything's temporary. Now, verse 8 says, For while bodily training is of value, godliness and value of every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So spiritual training pays off in the life to come. Second Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil. This is talking about believers because there's this thing called the great white throne judgment that's for non-believers. And now you have the judgment seat of Christ or the bema seat of Christ. That's for believers. So here, every believer, because now he's writing to the Corinthian church, that is the, was the church. The church are people, believers. So he's saying that here, we will receive judgment for everything we do here on earth for the kingdom of God or not for the kingdom of God. And we will be glad when we decide to pursue a lifestyle pleasing to God. In 1 Timothy 4, 9 to 10, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially for those who believe. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. When was the last thing that you knew that was 100% trustworthy? Don't you want a guarantee in life? Everybody wants a guarantee. You know, if you ever watch a commercial, I know we have ads now, they're not commercials. But a commercial that says, guarantee for the next five years. Lifetime guarantee, right? And it's a selling point to be guaranteed. Well, you have an eternal guarantee that's deserving of full acceptance. And I'm talking about every single orthodox doctrine in the word of God should be accepted. His entire word should be accepted. The entirety of Jesus Christ should be accepted. That's what it says in John 6. You must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. He's not talking about cannibalism. You must consume him entirely. So everything that is said in scripture should be deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive. Because we have our hope. Now the word for hope there is an interesting word. The word for hope means assurance. It's not, I hope I get this new car. I hope I get this new job. I hope I meet this girl. I hope I meet this guy. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. It's a false hope. You have assurance. You have assurance of salvation. So because we have our assurance set on the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. He died for the sins of the entire world. Does that mean everyone's saved? Absolutely not. You must put your faith in Jesus Christ. So our last verse 
as very Pauline fashions. Command and teach these things. So he's telling young Timothy to talk to the people of Ephesus. Timothy is, has set a godly example. And he has to live the way he preaches. Once he lives, it can be commanded and taught. You're supposed to lead by example. So now we just move to our application. Apply now because now you apply. So this is like a sanctification step-by-step how to live. So first you need to be filled, controlled with the word of God, Colossians 3.16. Be filled with the knowledge of his his will, Colossians 1.19. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5.18-21. Be filled with the fruit of righteousness, Philippians 1.11. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4.30-32. Do not walk as a pagan Gentiles, uh, Ephesians 4.17. Walk in love, Ephesians 5, 1 to 2. And do not quench the Holy Spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. That is how we're supposed to live our lives. And many of you are young, but the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, Pastor Timothy, as a young man, to set an example. So you have to set an example too. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus told his followers to learn from his example of gentleness and humility. In Philippians three seventeen, you become imitators of us and the Lord. And so you become a model for all believers. So we are supposed to join with others and following it as, uh, as an example. So Paul urged his believers to follow his example of perseverance and maturity. And 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 to 7. You become imitators of us and the Lord, and you also become a model for all believers. The new Christians in Thessalonica uh, receive training in discipleship from Paul. So imagine Paul's the guy that's discipling you. That's a big deal. So to imitate him, 1 Timothy 1.16. In me, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe in him. See, Paul used his unworthiness to receive Christ as an example of grace so that no one would hold back from the coming of Christ. And 1 Peter 5.3. No lording it over those who entrusted to you, but be examples to the flock. And this is a big issue with pastors sometimes of mega churches. I say like, you know, we're a mega church, but not like a, you know, we don't have 50,000 members. People think that they can lord over you. They can control you. They're your boss. No. Do pastors have authority? Yeah, sure. But it's given by God. And it's called servant leadership for a reason. Leaders are to be examples to the flock. And they have to live with the flock because guess what? They're sinners just like the flock. So now we move to our questions. You have four questions. How do you understand these phrases, doctrines of demons? 
Some people believe an unmarried person is more spiritual than a godly, uh, and godly than a married person is. How does 1 Timothy 4.3 shed light on this matter? Paul urged Timothy to be uh, always nourishing his soul in the words of the faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. 1 Timothy 4.6, are you nourishing your soul? And number four, what do you believe Paul meant by Savior of all men, especially of believers? 1 Timothy 1.15 and 1 John 2.2. 2. Break up into groups, and then you have your four questions. But let's pray. Father God, Lord, I pray that you help us avoid these doctrines of demons, these false teachers, so that we may be fully equipped uh, to do your good work, that we know what good doctrine is and good teaching through your word, that you may speak to our hearts and mind, that we may exemplify who you are in our daily lives. I pray that you... Um, clean our minds uh, for holy things and be on guard for the false things, Lord. Give us strength and knowledge and wisdom so that we may move forward in pursuing ultimate godliness. In Jesus' name, amen. Four questions.